but I feel like you're the reason because his house got raided. You know, sometimes when you do illegal shit, bad things happen to you. Never done anything illegal, me. Talking about your friend Jules? No, actually, I'm talking about your dad. Just want to make sure you've given it some forethought. I know over the years you've lost some brain cells. I wouldn't want you to say something you might regret. It. I mean, until you get a room in my life. I fucking promise you I can do that a lot better than you can. What do you want, bro? I want you to leave Fez alone. I want you to leave Jules alone. If you ever fuck with them again, I'll destroy your life. I'll destroy your dad's life. I'll fucking burn your whole shit to the ground. Because I personally have no problem walking into any police station and telling them that Nate Jacobs' daddy likes to fuck little kids. Best chamber. You're right. We should go. Jocelyn has that baby thing. My baby girl leaving me so soon. Okay. Either way, great progress for baby. Oh, she has no idea of the toll a baby can take on its mother or its mother's mother. A little time change? You said you couldn't make it because of the bebe. You do realize the bebe is crying. I do. This is your bebe, Jocelyn, and an artistic cradle robber. I am not. I love you. We just met. When did you fall in love with me? I was already in love with you. Before you even saw me? I don't experience the concept of before. So? There's no moment. Moment? A moment when you realize I'm in love. This is the moment. I just told you that you can't save me. And you're going to try to anyway. Authority? What did they do? Or do it don't do? Oh, no, it do. It definitely do. But it's been almost a month and I'm just not feeling close to him. It's weird. It's all good sex and witty banter, but... Hold on, hold on, hold on. He dicks you down, makes you laugh, and he don't work at the airport? What's the problem? Because I don't hear it. He's just not opening up. And meanwhile, I'm telling him everything. I even told him how I had to wear a helmet to bed till I was 11. Are you sure you're not looking for something? Don't pick up nothing that don't serve you, girl. I I'm not. I promise you I'm not. So it's just you talking the whole time? Basically. And then we fuck. And I'm not mad at that part. But I just don't want to turn into fucking is all we do. You know, I've been there before and I want more. Yeah. I'm with Issa. Who wants to sit around and listen to a grown man talking about his feelings? You know what I want? I want me a mind with a big dick. I'll be happy as hell. Well, hopefully you can gather from that little introduction that this is the Emmy nomination episode so we are going to be talking about when i say we i mean me um are going to be talking about who has been nominated for the 72nd emmy awards i guess we're supposed to still get excited about these this is going to be on september 20th on abc jimmy kimmel's going to be hosting i don't know if this is going to be a big weird zoom chat i mean i'm assuming it is so, um, maybe the ceremony will be shorter. Um, the Emmys are not historically that much fun to watch. It's not like the Golden Globes where they've been drinking the whole time. Um, but for some reason, they carry a little bit more clout.
people out. You know, they're part of the EGOT, the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. So they seem to be on that same level of clout. Um, I'm really hoping Dexter does not stop start barking because he has needed a lot of attention as usual. So I'm looking at him and I'm hoping we don't have issues, but we'll see. Um, given that, even if they were nominated, people were nominated this year, I don't, you know, I think the excitement is really, let's face it, the red carpet and what the hell they're going to say in the speeches, which usually are surprises and have nothing to do with what they got nominated for. That makes for an exciting show. And surprises, when we have surprises. So, I mean, for the rankings here, you know, Netflix has 160 nominations this year. And um, both Disney Plus and Apple TV, who were new to the world this year, um, both have Emmy noms, which is pretty remarkable. Um, out of contention this year is those heavy hitters from HBO, Veep, and Game of Thrones because so they're making room for stuff. Now, not gonna lie, there's some things on here that I'm like, oh my god, but I am pleasantly surprised. At the top of the show, you um, heard a clip. The first clip was from Euphoria. That would be, that was uh, Zendaya, our lead actress. I think the one of the most the greatest performances of the year. Um, it was a show that was released last summer. Seems like a zillion years ago, end of the summer. Um, and that is actually Jacob Alordi from Kissing Booth and Kissing Booth 2 in a very redeeming performance as a crazy villain. Um, not like superhero villain, but you know, sociopathic, horrible human being type villain in um, Euphoria. Hard to watch for some parents, I think, but excellent, excellent uh, show. Then I moved right into a little bit of Ms. Catherine O'Hara, who has been nominated a zillion times for um, Emmys, and she has yet to receive one. Um, she plays the role of Maura Rose in Schitt's Creek. And this was the last season. And um, I think this is her, I think this is her time. It should be her time. It is a comedic masterpiece of a performance. And then um, you also heard Regina King in there from The Watchmen a little bit of the part of a trailer from an episode from the watchman and um she's speaking with i'm not going to be able to say his name correctly yeah 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 abdul mateen the second one of the surprise um really really complex character in the watchman he and her are both nominated for their roles in the show, which is pretty exciting. And then uh, lastly there, that was a little clip from Insecure in its fourth season. Received a lot of nominations this year as well. Love Insecure, created by Issa Rae, based on her her book, um, Awkward Black Girl, on HBO, and um, lots of nominations. I think the best, her best season yet. She writes 
and direct several episodes of it. So let's get to cracking. So um, starting with, I'm going through a lot of the acting categories, not as much the show categories, because that's going to take us forever. But lead actor in a limited series, um, we have, or a mini series, we have Jeremy Irons from The Watchmen, Paul Messall, Messall from Normal People, that's a Hulu show. Um, he's either Irish or it's Irish people, and there's a lot of nudity, and people love it. I have had a hard time getting uh, behind it. It's okay. Um, Hugh Jackman and Bad Education. I didn't think the movie was amazing. I thought his role was pretty good, though. Jeremy Pope in Hollywood. He is the only one nominated for Hollywood. That was a Ryan Murphy show. I thought it was a rough time, yet I watched every episode one after the other. It's a retelling, a fairy tale of how Ryan Murphy would have liked things to go in the prime of Hollywood. Um, But it's just so unrealistic. Um, And maybe I'm a cynic. But I really wish we would have seen uh, Patti Lapone and Holland Taylor nominated, who were the standout performers in the show, if you ask me, and they were overlooked. And then Mark Ruffalo, I Know This Much Is True, um, on HBO, based on the book. I forget who wrote the book. It was a best-selling book. Um, He'll probably get it. I'm just saying he'll probably get it. I don't know if he should get it. I don't feel really passionate about this about this category. Jeremy Irons is amazing in Watchmen, but I don't, you know. Okay. So, um, <laughs> lead actress in a limited series. We have um, a couple surprises. Shira Haas in Unorthodox. Really an underdog performance. I think she's going to win it, to be quite honest. Um, they usually give something out here to somebody nobody's really heard of. It's a Netflix show about um, Orthodox Jewish people. It's really good, and it's based on a book, and it's based on a true story. It's hard to watch, though. Um, It is painful. Kate Blanchett in Mrs. America. Great performance based on a real person. She could also get it. I mean, all these people could also get it. (laughs) But I'm just saying. um, We talked about Mrs. America in a past episode. Of course, Regina King... She should win, I feel. I think it was, I I mean, it's a kick-ass performance all around. Lady Knight in The Watchmen. HBO did an amazing job, you know, retelling this comic book story to make it incredibly relevant to today. And she's so great in it. And I mean, I like to see any chick over 40 kicking ass. Like her and Charlize Theron, awesome. Octavia Spencer in Self Made. I have not seen it, so I cannot say anything. Kerry Washington in Little Fires Everywhere. I did not love it, um, but I loved her in it. I just did not love the series. But it's on Hulu with Reese Witherspoon. I believe Reese is executive producer on it. Now, lead actress in a comedy series. Uh, people love Dead to Me. Both. Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini are both nominated for it. If I had to pick between the two of them, I would give it to Linda Cardellini. Um, 
Issa Rae nominated for Insecure. Tracy Ellis Ross, Blackish. She's always nominated. Um, Rachel Brosnahan, um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Catherine O'Hara, Schitt's Creek. I think it's going to Catherine O'Hara this year. She has been nominated. This is the sixth time. So, um, the lead actor in a drama, there's a lot of people. (laughs) I, I think, I mean, I know Jason Bateman has got it in the past for Ozark, but both Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong are up for it in succession. And Billy Porter, um, is up for it in Pose. I think Billy Porter got it last year. Jason Bateman got it the year before. I would give it to Jeremy Strong this year. If I had, if those are just the people, Succession is excellent, and his performance this year is amazing. And if you haven't watched Succession, shame on you. Steal somebody's Hulu, um, not Hulu, HBO Max account, and go and watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I I was very reluctant. I'm like, do I need to see a warring family drama of a bunch of rich white people? Did we, have we not had enough of that? But it's so funny too. It's like dramedy. Yes, a dramedy. Because it is hilarious in parts. Um, Lead actress in a drama. (laughs) This is fun. We have Laura Linney in Ozark. Great as usual. Both Sandra O oh and Jodie Comer in Killing Eve. They've both won in the past, I believe. Olivia Coleman in The Crown. The Emmys love The Crown. Um, Jennifer Aniston in The Morning Show. Uh, I think it's... <sighs> God. I think it's going to go to Laura Linney again. I could be very wrong. I think this season, which was the third season, was her season. But I don't know. Um, Of all the limited series that are getting nominated, these used to be called miniseries, but now limited series. It's Watchmen, Mrs. America, Unorthodox, Little Fires Everywhere, and Unbelievable. I want it to go to Watchmen. I think the Emmy committee has a limited view, and we'll see this too much as a sci-fi um dystopian future and might pass it by or might dismiss it too much it has so many bigger themes in it that's why i think it's so good i think i really want that to win but um i could see unbelievable winning as well i'm not sure i could be off Uh, unbelievable is based on a true story about a rape case um and Merritt Weaver Tony Collette and I'm Caitlin Deaver Caitlin Deaver who was in Booksmart a couple years ago um all-star in it only Tony Collette was nominated for anything for it but um it's excellent it's on Netflix hard to watch anything with assault is but um important important to watch the comedies this year, we have some old things that have come back, and we have some things that I cannot believe are nominated again. So the Kaminsky Method, I have no desire to watch this. It may be hilarious. 
It's Michael Douglas and some other old person who I'm not remembering. Curb Your Enthusiasm, the reboot, <sighs> Dead to Me, which is good. The Good Place, it's the last season of The Good Place, so good chance they may get it um, just for that, but they may not get it at all. Insecure, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Schitt's Creek, What We Do in Shadows. Um, the surprise of this is what we do in The Shadows getting nominated. I believe it's the third season. I love it, but it is really an underground FX hit. A lot of people do not watch it. It's based on the Taika Waititi movie that was that came out a couple years ago. I think it's hilarious. I don't think this was the best season, but I think there were some standout performances. Um... But I don't think that's going to win. I think, and I hope, frankly, that um, I'd love Shit's Creek to win. I'd love Insecure to win as well. I would like both of them to win. I don't understand why the Kaminsky method again. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I think, is a great series. I just was not in love with the season. Um, drama, Better Call Saul. The Crown, Handmaid's Tale, The Mandalorian, that was surprising, Ozark, um, Succession, uh, Stranger Things. I'm, I just don't know. I don't know. I can't believe The Mandalorian was nominated. I don't hate it, but I think Succession's going to get it. I just, I think it's going to take a lot of things this year. Now, in my mind, in my humble, humble opinion, some of the people that I thought got snubbed, and of course, this is just me and my humble opinion, of course. Um, And it's a lot of stuff that, you know, I've watched and I love, and I'm like, how are they not watching this? Um... I was surprised. I was surprised that um, Tom Pelfrey, who was in Ozark, and he played Laura Linney's bipolar brother, did not get a nominated. I thought he would at least get a nomination, something. But Janet McTeer in Ozark, who plays the cartel lawyer, is excellent. And her role this year was definitely expanded. I was shocked by that. Um, Tim Blake Nelson, who plays Looking Glass, um, that looks like the Rorschach in Watchmen. So great. I was really sad to see that he got snubbed. Both Rhea Seahorn and Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul. Complete snub. People are very upset about Reese Witherspoon not getting recognized for anything. I... I'm kind of indifferent about the things that she did this year, to be honest. She had little fires everywhere. And she had um, season two of Big Little Lies, which I thought was a hot mess, to be honest. I still watched every episode, but I I did not think it could compare to that first season. And she had um, The Morning Show with Jenny Aniston, which I didn't hate, but I didn't love. And I didn't finish. So there you go. It's on um, Apple TV. 
which let's face it, I watched it, but then my free subscription ran out. So I was like, all right, well, I'm done with that. Um, but yeah, I would have loved to see a couple other people nominated though. Um, I will bring this up later in the episode, but I don't know how many people are watching the Umbrella Academy. I told you he was going to bark. I would have to restart this over and over again. Don't wait for him to stop barking. Um, So I will talk more about the Umbrella Academy a little bit later, but the actor Aiden Gallagher, who I believe at this point is 15 years old, plays a character named Five, (laughs) number five, in the Umbrella Academy, and he's excellent. He's essentially playing a middle-aged man in this 15-year-old body and very convincingly pulls it off. He's great. There's also another actor named Robert Sheehan who plays his brother, his adopted brother, Klaus. And it is a performance that just vacillates between hilarity and sadness and melancholy and torture over and over again. And it's what it's just wonderful. I think he's just an amazing actor. And he brings levity to this very weird role. And um, it would have been nice to see somebody in that show get recognized, um, especially those two. I don't understand how Logan Browning, who plays Sam in Dear White People on Netflix, has yet to be nominated. They're in their third season. I think this was the best season they've had thus far. She had to do a lot, a lot. I mean, the, the entire cast is awesome. But that was continues to be a disappointment. Um, I'm very happy to see more people of color being nominated, but it's nowhere near the talent that is out there. It's insane. Um, Hunter Schaefer, who um, plays the trans character of Jules, in who is trans, obviously, in real life, um, who plays Jules in Euphoria. She just has, like, a, mag- a magical performance. She plays opposite mostly, you know, almost all, all of her scenes are usually opposite of Zendaya. Zendaya. Um, I loved her. and absolutely loved her. I thought... I thought there was a mistake that she was not recognized. I am going to slaughter this name. Okay. Um, <laughs> apologies. The Netflix show Never Have I Ever, directed and written by Mindy Kaling, based on a lot of incidents in her real life. Um, the lead, not only should that show have been nominated for comedy... But the lead actress, Matrayi Ramakrishnan, is amazing. And maybe they didn't nominate her because they were afraid to say her name. I'm not sure. But it's kind of sad. You know, there's just so, there's so many shows, services, performances out there that are excellent. And, you know, not everything can be recognized. But you don't usually get to see um, an Indian family in a series. And the lead actress being um, 
being an Indian girl, an Indian uh, teenager, it is excellent. I just was like, give me more of the show. Thankfully, it's been renewed for the second uh, for a second season. Um, as I said before, Patty Lapone and Holland Taylor for Hollywood. I think that is the only thing from that show that should have been recognized. Their performances were so great, so much fun. But the show's not perfect. The show's beautiful to watch. Let me just leave it there. Um, this is the first time Insecure has been nominated for a number of Emmys. And this is its third season. So I'm pretty pumped that both Issa Rae and as Best Actress and Yvonne Orji, who plays Molly as Best Supporting Actress, were nominated. So, again, I'm pumped about that. But how you are not nominating Pamela Adlin for the best season of FX's Better Things, I do not know. That's horrible. She's everything in the show. She's so amazing. She reminds me so much of my good friend. She's so relatable. And every episode is a little gift. I'm I'm pissed that she's not nominated. I also would have been a little bit jazzed and maybe and this was his best season, but um British actor Matt Berry who plays Laszlo and what we do what we do in the shadows. I would not have minded to see him nominated because his comedic performance is amazing, especially in a very special episode where he plays his alter character, Jackie Daytona. I recommend you check that out. And um, I also really enjoy the understated performance of Guillermo, who plays the familiar of one of the other vampires, Nandor. Um, and he realizes this season that he is definitely a descendant of Van Helsing. It is hilarious. He has a very understated (laughs) humor to him. And, um, you know, that's great. And, um, but he was not nominated. So neither, none of the actors in what we do in the shadows, but were nominated, even though the series itself was nominated. Go figure. Um, as I said before, and I cannot say his name, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, Abdul Mateen II, who I'm just going to say so I don't spoil Watchmen for people who haven't seen it. He essentially plays the one of the aspects of his character is he, he is the love interest of um, Regina King's of Regina King's character, but. It's a much, much more complex character than that. Um, and it was it was really wonderful to see him being nominated. Um, so, you know, that's the quick rundown. I have no idea what these are going to look like, y'all. But um, you know I'll be watching. And I'm sure people will have a lot to say and a lot to feel about the Emmy, I guess, possible show this year. I mean, there's definitely going to be a show. We just don't know what it's going to look like. And, um, you know, I, I watched 70% of it for the clothes. So it's a little, 
I'm not that excited because I you know, we're not going to get a runway due to you know the COVID. But there you go. Why don't you make a little list yourself of what you think might win, and we can compare after this is all said and done. You either get it or you don't. Without further ado, I give you showgirls! I just gotta watch this movie until I die. Absolutely no one under the age of 17 is allowed. I don't think they have an attractive star. They don't do anything original in the screenplay. I didn't care for the film. Lousy movie. Really lousy acting. It was a disaster. It's kind of brunch. Very, very bad. Let me guess. Worst movie? Showgirls. Showgirls. You got it. <laughs> Good guess. I just got here. Okay, yes, it's a failed movie. Where are you from? But it adds up to something. Different places. A type of comedy I don't think you can make on purpose, which makes it very rare and valuable. I hadn't seen something so perfectly bad in years. It was done. Civilization had done its job. Showgirls is also signaling to fans of Paul Verhoeven that it's like his other films. People are much more inclined to think that it's nearly criminal to portray sex. Sexuality is part of our life, and we should not be afraid of it. I used to love Doggy Chow. I used to love Doggy Chow, too. You can't believe they're trying to sell us this. You never know what's going to become a cult film. For those of us that get it, it can become our religion. This is a role that does not come around that often. It's weird having that protagonist as a character that's so cathartic. I'm Nomi Malone. Nice dress. Thanks to Versace. And the worst picture of the decade is Showgirl! I want to watch this thing over and over and over again. I think we're still talking about Showgirls because we're not done with it. The film that gets reclaimed as a stealth masterpiece. I cannot tell you how excited I was to discover that somebody had devoted a documentary to the nineteen ninety five blockbuster disaster showgirls so i have a history with showgirls so opening that up was part of the trailer from you don't know nomi nomi referencing the role of nomi malone who is the um plucky determined rough around the edges i guess heroine from Showgirls, um, the girl that is trying to make it to the top, played by, very famously played by, Elizabeth Berkeley, who first came into our world as Jesse Spano from Saved by the Bell, which definitely brought people in to watch this movie. Um, I saw this movie when I was in college with three of my guy friends to give you an indication of how very old I am. And um, of course we went for two reasons, three reasons. One, 
It was being made by the same people, Joe Esterhouse and Paul Verhoeven, who were responsible for Basic Instinct. We all loved Basic Instinct. Who does not love that? That is film noir at its best. Um, two, sex. We're, you know, we wanted to see what the NC-17 was all about. Three, Elizabeth Berkeley. We all love Saved by the Bell. And we needed to see what we needed to see. And oh, did we ever. With our jaws to the ground. Because I have never seen one person's breasts so much in a film that you stop. After a while, you don't even see the breasts. You don't even see the nudity. Nothing is is shocking. Because there's just so much of it. But anyways, I do digress. Tell you a little bit about You Don't Know Know Me. It was written by Joe Esterhouse, same person who wrote Basic Instinct. And um, he had a very different take on it when he was creating it. He really did see see it as a bit of a morality tale of the seedy, the truly seedy underbelly of Vegas, which shocks me that anybody had to tell people that that was it um and director paul verhoeven so they had this is the they had teamed up um to do this they had previously worked in basic instinct um and director paul verhoeven always had used um nudity um and violence and um you know homosexuality and things of that nature as big devices in his movies. So this was nothing new. He, um, he, he's used them in controversial ways. And this was something that was definitely brought up as one of the critiques, um, of showgirls, one of many, one of many, um, because he was criticized and basic, basic instinct of using the gay character, um, as this, as this homicidal raging person. And <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just one thing after the other. And, um, he's never shied away from it, but this, the movie, when it was made, um, it cost $45 million to make. It was NC-17 and both, and Paul Verhoeven wanted it to be NC-17, which in the mid-90s, that was really throwing your movie off the cliff. I mean, that was like suicide for a movie because it was limiting the amount of people really to go in and see it or people that were going to be turned off of it. But he wanted that rating because he did not want to take any of the nudity out of it. Um, and, um, while it was, a, uh, it was Panda's, you know, it got the golden Razzie that year. Panda's one of the worst movies ever made. Poor Elizabeth Berkeley was, uh, she was treated very, very poorly from that movie. And really nobody came to her defense. And, um, you came to find out very similar to another movie that was made very earnestly, um, in the 60s, but de- developed into a cult movie, um, Valley of the Dolls, that that was the same way that Patty Duke, Patty Duke, who at that time, at that time had garnered an 
Academy Award, um, how she was directed to go bigger, bigger, bigger. And Elizabeth Berkeley was absolutely directed in that manner. And her performance is truly unhinged in the best way possible, which has turned it into some type of amazing camp now. And there, it is a beautiful, on top of that, a truly beautiful movie to watch in the perspective of just the setting of Vegas and the colors and the costumes and all of these over-the-top things. But, I mean, you can't, I think they say it in the trailers, you can't write this funny. You can't write it. I mean, her reactions are something that I've never seen before. And you pairing her with the Gina Gershon character is gold. Gold. Gina Gershon is definitely at times in a different movie than Elizabeth Berkeley, but very confident with what she's doing as well. And having the best time. I think having a better time than uh, Elizabeth Berkeley. Um, the doc is, it's not that long. It's about 92 minutes. It's directed by a man um, by the name of um, Jeffrey McCabe. And um, I learned so many things about this that in 2013, uh, there was an off-Broadway hit called Showgirls the Musical. They devote um, a pretty good segment to the Showgirls the Musical and the girl who portrays Nomi. And that's a very that's a very interesting segment. And it and my God, do I want to see that musical? It looks hysterical. And I did not know this, but in 2020, and this was a, of course, this. I believe was might have been canceled, but the um, it was nominated for an ad hoc, um, the ad hoc doc award um, at the Cleveland International Film Festival. So even though this was known as a you know a tawdry piece of trash in 1995, it has grown into both camp and something to be recognized, especially in terms of women surviving in any type of industry, (laughs) especially in a performing industry run by men. Um, So I really, I really love this documentary. And if you have ever watched Showgirls and you have gotten your friends together to watch it for a fun night in, well, first off, do that. Because it is, it's well worth it. I introduced several of my friends who are younger than me to it last year. And they were quite, quite happy that I did. They did not know that it, that it existed. Um, But I am, I still recognize it as camp. I don't see it quite as a level of artistic gold as this documentary maker does. But um, I see it as something amazing in in the in the realm of Valley of the Dolls, which is another one, another to me, you know, movie that accidentally happened. Going for one thing and getting something else. Just magic. So definitely check it out. You can rent it um I believe on Apple or iTunes or Amazon Prime. So I think I rented it for $2.99 and it was worth 
all 92 minutes. So everyone is definitely tired of me talking about I May Destroy You from HBO. Um, But here I am talking about it again. Last week's episode, I did a little preview that we were going to be talking about it. And on the Pop Culture Persephone website, which everybody should be checking out because I always have extra content on there, um, I had um, put the trailer up for the series, which is still going on on HBO. We have yet to hit the season finale, nor do I have uh, possession of the season finale. I am not that big of a podcaster, obviously. Um, But you need to watch it. I think it is the best series of 2020. It is not in, um, due to when it was released, it was not in contention to be nominated for an Emmy this year, but I hope to God they don't forget her next year because Michaela Cole, who stars in this, who um, has written this, I believe she directs part of this, she deserves all the awards. She's amazing. So a little bit about Michaela Cole. She is a British actress, screenwriter, poet, songwriter, director, and producer. She's won a number of BAFTA awards for her sitcom Chewing Gum that um, actually aired on Netflix from 2015 to 2017. It is not up there right now which is very annoying. Um, But she played the character of Tracy in that series, which was based on her life. Um, Chewing Gum came out of a one-woman show, actually, that she won quite a few awards from. And very similar to Phoebe Waller-Bridger, I don't say her name correctly, the woman who has done Fleabag, Fleabag originated as a one-woman show and then was developed into a series. So these two have very, very similar career trajectories. And I am hoping that Michaela gets as much love and as much praise as Phoebe 
because she deserves it. Um, what you have seen Michaela in, if you have not seen her in Chewing Gum, a lot of people know her from two very popular episodes of Black Mirror on Netflix. One being the USS Callister. That was very much the Star Trek episode. And the other one being Nosedive, which I believe was the episode that opened up the entire series with Bryce Dallas Howard. And she has a very small role in that. Um, But she has a... She has one of the most interesting faces. Gorgeous. Um, These cheekbones for days. I mean, she's... She could be a model as well. I can't believe that's not on on her resume. She's striking and it's not that and she's also odd looking do you know what I mean she's not just she's not a um a stereotypical beauty but there's something extremely compelling and beautiful about her and her physicality everything she has she's gorgeous she's amazing um but her um she while she was um born in London, both her both of her parents are Ghanaian. And um she went to um a series of Catholic schools growing up where she was the only black girl in this and until she went on to secondary school, it was like that. But it's um chewing gum is a big reflection of that. And then I found in I May Destroy You her her really close group of friends are also Ghanaian, but raised in London. So I found that to be interesting. And there's a subset story. It enters that Ghanaian background and that other background of them being black students absolutely intersects with this story. So the story of I May Destroy You Without... Um, without just completely spoiling it, a big theme around it is sexual assault. Um, and then not just sexual assault of women, but also sexual assault of men. How those two scenarios have been treated very differently by, um, by the law. And I always thought it was just here, but this is reflective in London. And also, she's um, a millennial, and her character is a writer who has received a certain amount of fame for a book that she wrote um, regarding millennials. So she's an influencer as well. And she receives a lot of validation through that, whether it be somebody on the street approaching her, somebody at the grocery store, even during her worst of times, she still receives that validation. There's a very telling scene where she is being screamed at by her on and off again boyfriend who lives in Italy. And the first thing that she does is post a selfie of her stuff, of herself and gets that instant dopamine rush because somebody comments or likes the photograph. So you see a connection with that. You also see a connection with um, that horrible feeling that she has of 
being taken advantage of and being blacked out. So she's going through a lot of flashbacks. She's going through a lot of self-discovery of trying to figure out how she got to this point. And she's recognizing other times in her life that she has been assaulted. Um, and the tricky window of that. So, um, it's brought, it brings up a lot of different topics. The, the reason why I think it's such a standout though, is the humor that she intersperses throughout it. There are a lot of shows out there about sexual assault, what that means, how you have to really bring up the idea and reintroduce the concept of consent and how it continues to be something challenging for people. And when you look at some of the very, very popular series in the last couple year, one being American Crime Story that was on ABC that took a really harrowing look at like sexual assault. Um, and then you look at 13 Reasons Why, which was a hit on Netflix and even unforgive, uh, not, uh, unbelievable, un- unbelievable, excuse me. It is taken very seriously, which it should be taken very seriously, but there isn't a lot of the ebbs and flow of day to day brought into it. And the reason why I love I May Destroy You is because she's still living her day to day. She's still surviving. She still has a book that is due to her editor. She still has to make rent. She's still trying to mend fences with an estranged boyfriend. She's still doing all of these things because that part of your life doesn't stop. And I think a lot of times in these other portrayals that I've seen in these shows, they show people almost frozen and unable to do anything. And her character cannot do that. And the soundtrack, the, the music is amazing. Later on this week, I will be putting out a PCP playlist and there'll be a lot of music, a lot of music from um, I May Destroy You. But everything's great. Her cast, the um, her co-stars, the girl that plays Terry, she also has a co-star who is like her best friend who plays a gay character. And he goes through also a similar not similar, a different type of assault story, but um, he's handling it in a very different way. It's it's great. It's one of the reasons why I can't get rid of HBO. I keep on trying to get rid of HBO. I mean, I kept it again because of Westworld. I did not love this season, but I still watched every episode. And then I just kept it going because I saw that Michaela Cole was coming. And I was so in love with chewing gum. And um, I'm thrilled about that. A little fact about her, which says a lot about her person. She was offered a million dollars to have this series on Netflix. But they would not allow her her IP or intellectual, intellectual property for the content. So she said no. And she went over to... HBO, who I believe gave her a lot less. I'm not sure. I'd have to look into that. But I thought that was pretty interesting that she she declined that one million because it was more important for to keep her IP. 
And um, I don't know if one of the reasons why you can't see chewing gum (laughs) on Netflix is that reason. I know that it is also partially owned by a British broadcasting wing called E4. So it might have more to do with that. I'm not sure. But it is, if you can get your hands on it in some manner, I would recommend it. It is absolutely hilarious. The main (laughs) the main um, directive of Tracy, who is played by Michaela Cole, is to have sex. It's absolutely hysterical for that reason alone. And there's an episode where she tries to dress up like Beyonce. It's great. Check her out. She's going nowhere. I think she's going to dominate this next decade. I could be wrong, but I really, really think so. Check her out. HBO, I may destroy you. might be thinking, Teresa or Persephone, however you address me, why are you playing Tiffany's I think we're alone now? Well, I will tell you, children. It is because in season one of Netflix's The Umbrella Academy, in the first episode, there is this amazing, amazing, wonderful scene where all of these characters, who are all adopted brothers and sisters, are in this enormous mansion and they are all they are all dancing in their own individual spaces to the song that is being played on a turntable on one of the floors. And it sounds really stupid and trite and done a zillion times and it has been. But it shows you just how much I love the Umbrella Academy, which is not a new concept television show at all. The story is not new. It is so very X-Men that it is X-Mening all over the place. All over the place. It is written by um, emo frontman Gerard Way, who was the lead singer, um, is the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, from a um, comic called, um, it's from the Dark Horse series. I do not believe it's called the Umbrella Academy. So full... um, you know, full transparency here. I have, I have not watched that. I have not read that, um, that comic. I don't read a lot of comics, but I go to my friends who read a lot of comics and I ask questions. And, um, I have a lot of friends who are X-Men purist and have had a lot of issues And I have had a lot of issues with the last couple X-Men movies. And I don't even, I'm not even a pure, I haven't even read the comics. I just think a lot of them have not been great. But the reason why I bring up the Umbrella Academy and the connection with the X-Men is because if you don't know this, the premise of the Umbrella Academy is that a bunch of children are born on the same day in 1989 throughout the world. 
And while this is not a big deal at all, the biggest, the reason why it is a miracle is they are all born to women that were not pregnant before that day. And from this, so seven are identified by this eccentric millionaire played by Confior. And he goes out and he collects them, essentially. He collects them. He takes them to his mansion. They have to wear a little uniform. And he essentially trains them as superheroes, killing machines. And they all, um, every one of them has a unique gift, a unique power. Very similar to the X-Men. So, you know, he's very Xavier in a way. Although, (laughs) there's not the love that Xavier... Um, Professor Xavier has because all the, although these are his adopted children, he literally just calls them by their numbers. There is a, there is a mother character and another assistant. I won't give it away about Pogo. And she is the one who names them their names. So except for one who is named number five and for some reason never gets a human name, their names um, are definitely tied to probably where they are from. It is a um, pretty diverse cast. So we have Vanya played by probably the debatably the biggest actor, um, actress in the series, Ellen Page. Ellen Page, who also played Kitty Pride in X-Men. Um, she is the one child and they're all about 29 at this point she's the one child that has no power she has been she has no power while she was raised with them she did not go on missions with them and they received huge fame they became comic book characters they had little dolls and what have you um and they are all gathering at this point when they're 29 because this father has passed away And then there's other characters, and they all have different, you know, they've all had pretty rough lives because of, you know, how they were raised. One character, the other, only other female character, Allison, who is um, African-American, is a big actress in Hollywood and going through a divorce, married with a child, you come to find out that her power is essentially the power of suggestion in which she can say, I have a rumor, and she could say that to someone. And from there, they will do it. So if she says, I have a rumor, you can't breathe, they stop breathing. So it's an extremely powerful power. And then there's other ones, super strength for one of the characters. The other character can commune with the dead, which is more of a hindrance for him. That's the... Um, character of Klaus that I mentioned before who um he's gay in the show absolutely hysterical performance um the other character can essentially jump through time and that is the character of number five who I who I spoke to um Aiden Gallagher who I think also should have been nominated for something and um you only see him in that 15 year old form or I think he's supposed to be 13 or 14 um and then there's another character named Diego who can he essentially bend any which way that he throws a knife. 
So the the powers are all over the place, and they've also been trained since they've been children every day hand to eye combat as well. So they're uh, just they're just this force, this crime fighting force, and then you have this sister who, while she's raised with them, she's separated from them, and there's a lot of resentment. But um, even though there's so much similarity with the X Men, and I should be annoyed with that. The performances are so endearing, wonderful, fun. It's such a fun show. In the second season, the first season came out in 2019. This season just came out on Friday. And it is so much fun to watch. And this season takes takes us in a completely different adventure. But, you know, right, picking up immediately from where the first season ends. And I cannot honestly say enough good things about it I love it maybe I'm crazy for thinking the show is so great but um I went in for Ellen Page and I came out with so many other people that I loved in this um first season also a couple surprise uh cameos from not even a cameo it's like a big role of Mary J Blige who's great and Also, there is a great performance of, and I can't remember her name, so I suck. Never mind. She's in Grey's Anatomy, and her name's Kate something. That's all I know. I don't watch Grey's Anatomy, but people will know she has a really great pivotal role. But just check out Umbrella Academy. You will, you'll just binge right through these episodes. And unfortunately, at least here in good old Cleveland, Ohio... This um, self-imposed isolation keeps on happening due to our COVID number. So I'm watching a lot of stuff and trying to stay sane. If you do not recognize that voice, that is, to me, the inimitable voice of, and unmistakable voice of Charles Manson, who, man, did he enjoy an interview, especially, I would say, in the 70s and at times um, in the 80s. Love to sit down and talk to anyone, really. Um, and for the most part, could manipulate most of the conversations with interviewers. Um, why are we talking about Manson yet again? Because Epics, that's E-P-I-X. Not a lot of people have um, a subscription to Epics. Um, it's not a super popular add-on um, network, but 
They have a new series that premiered on July 26th called Helter Skelter colon an American myth. And at this time, only two episodes have been released. And um, I am somebody who very passionately, excuse the term because it makes it sound like I'm romanticizing um, serial killers and, and or mass killers and or criminals. But I have followed his case, um, the case of the killers, which is actually not him when you associate with the mass killings that happened in 1969 because he was not a part of those two mass killings as in he did not directly kill any of those people which many people assume um but he was the leader the Svengali of his what what they were called the children which were these um you know, a lot of them teenagers, some in their early 20s, kids that had essentially come under his spell and were doing, <laughs> I mean, his bidding and really doing whatever whatever he wanted them to do. This series is pretty fascinating because early on I can tell that they're taking a lot of the information from a recent novel that came out in the last couple of years called Manson, which really, really um, talks a lot about his very, very unstable upbringing, which was in par- partially in um, the Cincinnati area, partially in the Kentucky area, partially in the West Virginia area, depending on when his mother was or was or was not in prison. He, um, how he grew up, he grew up with a lie to begin with, um, essentially because the person on his certificate by the name of Manson was somebody that Kathleen Maddox, Charles Manson's mother, married, and he knowingly knew that she was pregnant with someone, someone else's child, but he did put his name on the birth certificate. I think he left her pretty quickly afterwards, and the only thing he really gave Charlie was a name. But he really is not the son of this man, <laughs> ironically. Um, and Kathleen, who was brought up in a very strict Pentecostal family, rebelled very early. It was a little bit too much religion for her. Got knocked up, um, and Charles was the result of that. And um, she didn't really take to parenting so easily or so well or so enthusiastically. And um, when Charles was very, very little, she was, her and her brother had a bit of a hustle where she would um, come on to guys and he would, you know, he would essentially come in there and um, roll them. Like he'd come in there and he'd rob them. And they'd end up robbing cars and you know the money off these off these guys and of course they got caught there was an assault with a ketchup bottle of all things it's crazy um but why I'm saying all of this is because it really shows especially in this case that it is not just the nature of the person and it also brings up the fact that the entire case that sent Manson to prison, at one time he was on death row. 
and none of these crimes um, he was he had any direct hand in, which is ironic. There were there were actual crimes that um, there is circumstantial proof that he had killed people, but not any of the ones that he was sent to prison for. It was nineteen, you know, it was the time period. The uh, prosecuting attorney said, you know, this man has mind control and. Then he shared that concept of helter-skelter, which was, in my perspective, and I believe the perspective of this documentary filmmaker, one of the many crazy things that Charlie would say. You know, that the Beatles were talking to him through the White Album, and they were saying that, you know, a race war was coming, and at one point, the Manson and his followers would be able to, you know, be on top after the race war. Um, I mean, it was really ramblings of a, of a racist con man who learned everything he had to ever really learned. He spent most of his time in jail. I believe he was released at 34. He went straight from reformatory school to jail. So a lot of the information, I mean, he was, you know, you know, clearly learning how to manipulate everybody, but his hand was not directly in this. So it's interesting because I do not, and I never have thought he is on the same par as someone like a Ted Bundy or, you know, the Zodiac Killer. These were people that were, I mean, I do think he has a, so he's a sociopath and, um, probably a personality disorder, but I think if the case was tried today, there'd be absolutely no way that he would have been sent away for life. Um, I think it was just the noise around the case and it was the, the murders were so completely awful, but so far so good in these two episodes. If you have any interest in watching this, you can subscribe to Epics for a free month. Um, which is great if you have a streaming device. And at least with that, you'll be able to get the two past episodes and like three more. So I would suggest that if you have any interest in this case, it's done very well. Um, so far, there's just amazing um, interspersed shots of Los Angeles and um, Death Valley, not to mention different areas right now um, in West Virginia. And it really puts in perspective a little bit more about this person that, you know, people assume was just this lunatic out of nothing. Um, and really, he was built into this more than anything. I think there was something missing in that brain um, of a, <laughs> perhaps of a conscience, but it was definitely um, emboldened throughout the year. So I would check that out. That is Helter Skelter, an American myth. And so far, so good epics. You can get it free for a month and you may be able to buy it by an episode to episode via Apple. So I would check that out. Highly recommend it so far.
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in this week. Make sure to check out popcultureperceptiony.com. Not only can you listen to this episode and all the back episodes there, but there's a lot of extra fun content. So I urge people to go on there. Um, Also, if you subscribe via the Anchor app, there is an area where you can ask me questions. You can leave comments. I will play them. I will play them and I will answer your question. And I would love for that to happen. I would love this for this to be more interactive. Tell your friends. Tell your friends who like, you know, pointless pop culture who need their brains to rest a little bit. I have a lot of people listening who will be told what I'm going to preview or talk about and will um, either go out and listen to it or listen to it afterwards. It works either way. I try to, especially via Instagram and Facebook, if you follow me, give people previews of what is to come the week before so they know. Um, I did mention that I was thinking about talking with somebody about Folklorica, a friend. That is still in the works. I'm not saying I'm not going to, um, but it might be an expanded conversation, not just that. But um, I'm not sure what next week holds because I have kind of a crazy schedule coming up. But if you follow me, you will see things via the Insta, the Facebook, and the Twitter. So uh, keep your eyes open for that. Thank you again. And have a wonderful week. And um, hopefully we'll be talking next week. One more dusty road It would be just a road too long I just can't, I just can't I just can't seem to get started Don't have a heart to live in the fast lane All that is past and gone And there ain't nothing you can do about it